Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Roaring Twenties. Before we get into today's show, I want to tell you about something really cool we got going on here at Lions of Liberty. Our good friend, the godfather of the Lions of Liberty, Howie Snowden, mentioned a few weeks ago, he said, you know what, guys, it would be cool if we had a Roaring Twenties t-shirt. You know, Lions Roar, Roar! And it's the Twenties. It's 2020. So it's like the Roaring Twenties all over again. But it's going to be better this time because we have the internet. And because you have the internet, it means you can support great podcasts like Lions of Liberty. As a way to support the Lions of Liberty, we have created a Roaring Twenties t-shirt that is freaking awesome. You can get this t-shirt if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride for $10 or up. Just on top of all the other benefits you get at those levels, you're going to get a, get a, a free t-shirt. But you don't, you don't even have to join for $10 up. You can join at the $5 level and we'll give you a sweet discount. Pick up one of those t-shirts, get the other stuff. You get access to the Pride, our Facebook group, all the bonus content, all this incredible stuff that we have. Check it all out. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. What is Felony Friday? Felony Friday is a show where every single week we're going to do a deep dive and we're going to examine and expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, if this is your first time listening to Felony Friday, your first time listening to any of the shows we have here on Lions of Liberty, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, put your feet up. If you're driving, please don't put your feet up. But if you've been back several times, if this is a regular habit of listening, why haven't you subscribed? Or maybe you have subscribed. Thank you if you subscribe. But if you haven't, please do so. Whatever podcasting app you're listening on, please just scroll up to the top there, punch that subscribe button, and uh, you'll get every single episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast and of Felony Friday delivered to your little listening device. And also, if you really enjoy what you're hearing here, please think about uh, giving us a, a five-star rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, especially if you listen there, because it helps with the algorithms and all that crazy stuff. Without further ado, let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Maurice Clifton. Maurice was sentenced to 33 years and four months uh, for crimes that during which those crimes, nobody was hurt. Um, He went to trial for 6.4 grams of cocaine and money laundering, But on top of that, he was held responsible for 1.5 kilograms of ghost dope. And we'll get into talking about exactly what that means. Um, Maurice just got out of prison, I think, two weeks ago from when you're going to hear this interview. So on January 10th, this was after serving uh, 23 years, almost to the day. So Maurice, welcome to Felony Friday. Uh, How are you doing, Mr. Odovet? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. And... uh, I assume you're doing good yourself too, enjoying your uh, your freedom here. Man, that's a blessing. That's surreal. You know, I'm, I feel like a dinosaur being uh, reborn. Everything has changed so much, so it's just going to take a lot of getting used to. I'll tell you what, though. I mean, for uh, for somebody who is new to uh, wasn't exposed to this technology and everything, you did a great job. We're we're on a Zoom call right now, and uh, we had a little bit of an issue getting set up, but. <laughs> people have issues with that who uh, haven't ever been to prison and they've, they, and they have trouble using zoom. So that's nothing, nothing to worry about there. But uh, I kind of want to do this show backwards a little bit. Normally I start out and have my guests go through like from the beginning and from their childhood and go up through that. But since you just got out um, and it's so fresh in your mind, let's start, you know, that last day of prison and uh, just the feelings, you know, what happened from waking up to getting out? Can you just walk us through that day? Man, Friday morning. Friday morning on the 10th, it was, I was in uh, my last place of incarceration was Forest City Camp. It's like the, the southern most uh, eastern part of Arkansas, right at the, right at the Memphis-Mississippi border. 
And so Friday morning was not a typical day because they called a Unicorn work call early across the loudspeaker. They called it about 5.30 and said Unicorn work call. It was pouring down raining. I didn't want to go to work. And uh, I don't know if it was raining. I called my girlfriend and we always pray like several times a week. And I talked to her on the phone and she was having a bad morning. She didn't want to start. So I told her I was going to go to go to work early. So I went over to work about 6.30. It's like a quarter mile to walk to work. So I'm walking in the rain, going to work. And uh, you know, I get to get to work about 6.30 and I work and I work. I end up coming in for lunch, not knowing that uh, I was already free. The judge had issued the order about 10.30, but the problem was that the marshals and the, the courts in Grand Prairie couldn't get in contact with the institution. They couldn't reach anybody there. Wow. So I, came, I came in at lunch about 11 o'clock and I called my girlfriend again and we just talked on the phone and I remember telling her that everything in God's timing. And we were talking back and forth. She was asking me, you think you're going to hear anything? I said, well, it could be any day. It could be next week. It could be next month. So I said, but the thing I built my whole mantra has been the last few years, you know, since they passed the first step was everything in God's timing. Whatever is my time, then I will be released. Mm-hmm. So we talked about it. But when I got off the phone, I just felt like this heavy burden on my shoulders because you know, I got a lot of family that's been waiting on me. I had her waiting on me. She had been riding with me for like about five years. I met her since I've been incarcerated. And uh, I was walking back to work. It was still raining. I thought about not going back, but I had a lot of stuff that I needed to do at work, but I didn't feel like doing. So I, What what it, kind of job, what, what kind of work were you doing? Well, I worked in Unicor. It's um, a federal prison industries, and we make office furniture there. So I was happened mm-hmm. to be, I was working in the warehouse where I was like uh, a material handler. And so what we did, we inventory, I sent all the raw materials to the institution to make the furniture. And so I came over there on the institution need from, from a FCI law. I've been in Unicor since like October 1997. So I've been in Unicor since then. So okay. I've been to like four institutions for mm. like a special needs to help set up the institution. It's big business. Mm. So, you know, back to my day, I'm on my way back to work. And I'm facing the north wind. It's raining. The wind is blowing in my face. My little raincoat is torn down the middle. I got staples in it. And I said, Lord, I know you said you wouldn't give me more than I can have. I said, but man, I said, this is heavy, Lord. You know, carrying this time has gotten real heavy. So, you know, I don't know. I said, I don't know if I can make it. You know, so, And I went on to work, man. I work. I like to do USA Today crossword puzzles. So I had three of them on my desk that I had saved because I normally do them in like, 25 or 30 minutes. Well, today I finished all three of them in like 45 minutes because I was so zoomed in just trying to, from the frustration. And so we were getting off early that day and uh, normally get off at 3 o'clock, but they call, call us up and told us, well, we're going to let y'all leave at 2.30 because the weather was kind of bad and we're going to let y'all get out of here. And so my former boss who was across the street at the low, he came in and he said, hey man, they had a rumor out yesterday that you got immediate release. And I said, uh, well, Mr. Weaver, I said, I don't know if it's, <clears throat> I said, if you see, I'm still here. So <laughs> I don't know anything about it. <laughs> and he said, yeah, he said, I'm going to hate to tell the guys that you're still here, man. All the guys been kind of pulling for you, you know, hoping that you get some action. I said, well, I said, don't give up on me. The day is not, the day is not over with yet. Why I said it, I don't know. But, you know, I just had to figure that it was just a manifestation of God. Mm-hmm. You know, me knowing that I was already free. So anyway, I walked back to the unit. I get to the unit. When I get about 30 yards from the unit, I can hear my name on the loudspeakers. And the secretary was calling me, you know, Maurice Clifton, report to me, you know, report to see me now. So the guys told me, say, yeah, they've been calling you about 10 minutes. And the officer at the message center called you, too. So I walked up to the message center. What, to the what, 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 did, what did you think when you heard your name on well, the loudspeaker? It was either I was thinking because I was waiting on the seven days, too. You know, they made the, retro, the seven days retroactive, too, where. They owed us seven days. So I had 23 years worth of seven days. Actually, 33 because they give you good time on the front end. We were supposed to get 54 days a year good time in the feds, but they were actually giving us 47. So with the first step, they fixed the error, and they had been recalculating everybody's time. And so everybody had been waiting on the seven days because they had until the 19th to get everybody done. And so Mm -hmm. I was like one of the last few who were there that hadn't got their days. So I figured it was the seven days or... I figured I had got into, you know, some kind of uh, some kind of trouble or something like that. So when I went to the message center, the officer said, uh, 
go see the secretary. So when I walked over to see the secretary, I knocked on the door and she said, come in. She said, who are you? I said, um, I'm Clifton, Maurice, just like that. And she said, uh, she stood up and she said, well, she said, Mr. Clifton, today you're a free man and showed it on the paper. It had 110, 20 on it, you know, and I didn't know whether to feel joyous, <laughs> sad, uh, sad, turn a flip or what? And she said, well, that's the good news. She said, the bad news is, she said, I got to get you out of here before four o'clock today, before count time. Wow. I said, that's not bad news. Just point me the way and I'll leave now. <laughs> and so she said, no, you can't leave. She said, you can't leave now. Somebody has to pick you up. So I'm thinking in my mind, man, who's going to pick me up at in the last hour? Well, just ironically, I have two sisters that live in Forest City, but I didn't remember that number. So I called my brother Antonio from uh, in Mississippi. He was coming up from Baton Rouge. When I called him, the secretary called him and I got on the phone with him. And he's a man. He said, you finally coming home. I said, well, I said how do you know? He said, man, everybody been knowing since 1030. And said that the, uh, my attorney had been calling the institution and the U.S. Marshals had been calling the institution. They finally got a hold to somebody about 2 o'clock. So since 1030 that morning, I had actually been free when I was going through these trials and tribulations on the way back to work. You know, wow. I had already been blessed with my freedom. And so it was just a beautiful thing, man. I called my brother. He said, well, I'm going to call your sisters there and everything. So I was at the camp facility, and the, the low is like about a half mile, and you have to out-process from the low. So the secretary was running. She gave me some paper to sign. So within an hour, I had to make do the merry-go-round, have all the departments sign my paper. And, uh, you know, so she was running around trying to get all the paperwork signed. I had to sign some paper to clear my name out. And, man, it was just... All the guys were running around, man, you leaving, you leaving, you know, because I taught a lot of classes over the years and a lot of guys knew me. And so they were happy for me. You know, they gathered around, all of them hugged me, and they walked me up to the front. And we had to run in order to get off because we had to count hill up at all all three institutions. So I had to be out by 4 o'clock, you know, because I, officially I was a free man. So when I went over to the uh, low, the guy took me back, and I had to go through the metal detector and, you know, go through the normal procedure going back to R&D. So when he keyed me out the system, you know, he shook my hand. He said, man, you're a free man now. So when I walked out the door, the lady, you know, when you get to leave, when you go inside the fence, which is a low or a medium, you got to get your number before you enter or leave. So when I was leaving, she asked me for my number. I told her for the last time, 283-32077. And so when I walked out, I didn't have to, you know, I got ready to go through the metal detector because that's, you know, all inmates come through the metal detector, in and out through the metal detector. When I walked out, the officer said, no, you don't have to go through. He said, man, you're a free man. I said, go ahead. I said, go around the middle tech. Go ahead. I said, take care. And I walked up to the desk and shook his hand. That's now, it nice. had been raining all day. When I walked out about four, about four or five, it stopped raining, man, and like the cloud pierced and the sun started to shine. Oh, that's awesome. And I just thought it was, you know, I lost my mom in 2016, and that was one of her biggest wishes that she wanted me to, uh, you know, be home while she was still living. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't get a chance to see that. I just lost my son. I lost the son. November 18th, a couple of months ago. So, you know, it's just, Sorry to it's, hear that. yeah, but I've survived, man. I got out, you know, to my family, took me to eat a steak. They asked me what I wanted to eat. I said, man, I hadn't had a real steak in a long time. I bought a steak and uh, <laughs> I just had to buy it with my eyes. I took like two or three bites. The street food is a whole lot different than prison food. After two bites, I was already full, you know, so I, I, <laughs> It's just been a blessing, though, man. You know, so God has blessed me, and I'm I'm doing fine. Yeah, yeah. That's that's an incredible story. So, how long was the process? You know, it was the first step act that ended up getting you out. So, I, so when did you first find out that you know you, that you were gonna get out? That, that that things were at least you know working towards your your release and getting your freedom. Probably in April. April. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they, well, I wrote the course in January. They passed the first step uh, in December 2018. So it went into effect January. So I wrote the judge in January, Judge Sharon Acock, and this is the first time in my 23 years that any law has passed that they, the Northern District of Mississippi had appointed me a, an attorney. And so, okay, I became hopeful then, so... Mm-hmm. When I wrote to the probation officer, and when I called them, I talked to the attorney. They said, "Well, Mr. Clifton, we don't think that you're we don't think that you're eligible." So I'm like, "I've been studying the first step and following it ever since it came out." So I had every 
I had ran every scenario and just had looked up case law to know that uh, it applied to me. Mm -hmm. I went to trial for 6.4 gram. I had relevant conduct that held me responsible for 1.5 kilogram. And so they abolished the 1.5 kilogram in 2008. I actually should have went home in 2008. But all my motions were still pending. So, so what is, just to pause on that for a minute, can you explain what that means? Because I, I re- referenced it in the intro, the, uh, you know, the ghost drugs, 1.5 rele- relevant conduct. What, what does that, what does that actually mean? That means that if I can go to, let's just say my charge was aiding and abetting, not that I had any drugs, but because I was with somebody that sold 6.4 gram and I didn't tell on them. That's the aiding mm-hmm. and abetting part. Let's get that first. Cause a lot of people think, you know, when they see I went to trial for 6.4 grams. Now, I was the aider and abetter. The principal only got 31 months initially. Really? He got 31 months. I got 33 years. He went home after he testified against me. Yes. Yes. Wow. I got my trial transcript. I was just going through. And I, you know, and I, I like to send his name so y'all can look at it. But we went to trial for aiding and abetting 6.4 grams. And uh, he got third. Well, he went a few months before me, and he got 31 months. Of course, he pled guilty, but here's the thing. On this charge, I wasn't even in the state of Mississippi on this charge. I actually closed the deal. My charge was from September 12, 1996. Okay. I closed the deal on a house in Colleen, Texas, September 12, uh, 1996. So I was in Colleen, Texas. So they had three hours of audio with none of my voice on it. They had three uh, three hours of video. I'm nowhere on the film. Mm-hmm. The only thing they had was somebody saying that I was in a car with tinted windows that I was on the passenger side of the car. And that, uh, so I aided and abetted him in selling the 6.4 grams. And so I ended up, but the ghost dope is just, they take you to trial for one charge. They'll just say, they take you to trial for 6.4 grams. Once they get the conviction, then once you go to sentencing, then they're allowed to get people who are looking to get a time cut and say, uh, yeah, I sold dope for them. Now, listen to this. If you look at my indictment, I have no co-defendants, right? I'm the only one. I, even the guy who I was supposed to aid in the bed is not on my uh, indictment. I'm the only one on my indictment. They gave me the leadership role, a four-point enhancement, saying that I was the leader of five or more people. Who are the people? They didn't get indicted with me. This is my first offense, first federal offense, and everything. You know what I mean? That's I, I would like, you know, see it, I know when I tell you about it, it's easy to see, but if I can send it to you or fax you a copy, you look at it, you're like, wow, this is ludicrous. But Yeah, what uh, what statute is that? Did you know? How, what the, 841B1B. Okay. Which one? What I got released under or? No, no, the the one that they that they got you that they convict you under for being the the leader. Oh, that's under uh, that's in the that's what they call an enhancement, a, a post sentencing enhancement. Okay. So nothing, none of this was presented to the jury because the only thing they talked about at trial was the six point quote unquote the six point four grams. Mm-hmm. That's been my whole argument. So when we went to sentencing, you know, probation the probation do what they call a PSR a PSR report. Mm-hmm. And it comes back, and so the only dope, the only dope that they had attributed to me, or cocaine they had attributed to me, was from an IRS agent. Now I'm gonna take you through this IRS agent. His name is Harry Bosick. I want you to write that name down because I want you to Google it later. Because well, I will. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you spell that last name? Uh, B O S T I C. Okay. Now this guy Harry Bosick. He was pardoned by the governor of Mississippi uh, in 2010. It was a nationwide thing. John Anderson, with John, Don Lemon, and everybody, uh, like you know, screamed bloody murder because he was pardoned by the governor of Mississippi. And these same prosecutors that tried me wrote him character letters. Now, in 2006, he was riding in the government vehicle coming from Oxford, and he ended up hitting a a lady and her son, and I think the child died or something, so he ended up going to prison. The governor pardoned him in 2010, right before he got out of office. Seven months later, 
he was involved in a hit and run where he killed a girl named Charity Smith. Seven months later, you know, and he's he's drunk, in jail. Drunk now. driving, probably. I assume, right? Or, right. Yeah. The same thing. He was drunk driving, but yeah. he had got caught with like seven seven offenses, but they would let him go because he was a government official. You know, on this charge here, I was in Arkansas. I went back to court for a traffic ticket in Arkansas in 1997, January 15, 1997. I drove from Colleen. I had bought the house in Colleen. I drove from Colleen. I went back to Lake Village, Arkansas for a traffic ticket. They arrested me on tax evasion on his order. I never got extradited to Mississippi. They he drove from Mississippi to Arkansas and put me in his personal car and took me back to Mississippi. I'd never seen him. So he arrested me. He never read me my rights. The only thing he said, Maurice Slipton, I got a warrant on you for tax evasion. I tell Chico County Sheriff Department, I said, man, tell him to show the warrant. Tax evasion is a civil matter. It's not criminal, you know, unless, unless, it's, unless I go into default. And so uh, they didn't want to hear it. He shackled me. When I get to Mississippi, it's not uh, aiding and abetting. It's not tax evasion. That's when they charged me with aiding and abetting the sale of six grams of cocaine, and I haven't been out of there since January so, 15, nineteen ninety seven. So you were never charged, or that tax evasion? Nothing no. ever happened with that. No, no. It was just it was something that they used to bring me back to the state of Mississippi. But here's the whole thing, right? Wow. I got I got a stack of paper in there to where. My Mississippi number, when they arrested me, you know, you're supposed to have only the only somebody in a federal case, and I want you to look this up, that can transport you across state line is the U.S. Marshal. No IRS agent, no ta- no po- local police department, because you need a governor warrant to take a prisoner from one state to another state. Mm-hmm. And so none of this happened, and that's been my whole argument. But once they convict you, all that is... Uh, it's moot. You can't even argue that anymore. You can't even bring that up. They don't care how you get before a judge, whether you were kidnapped or anything. It was basically kidnapping. And so when he, but they that, gave that my, wasn't uh, that wasn't brought up at your trial then. No, 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 because it, it was brought up at my sentence in my uh, pre-trial hearing. And so they get I had to take a public defender because I didn't have any money. Mm-hmm. They gave me a public defender, and I first thing he asked me when he came to. To interview me, he said, "Well, did you sign anything for them to extradite you?" I said, "No." And uh, he said, "Well, how did they bring you back over?" I said, "The IRS agent brought me back in my personal car, in his personal car." So he said, uh, "Okay, don't worry." He said, "We'll get it fruits of you know fruits of a poison in the street." And so when we get to pretrial, I'm asking them, well, "You're not going to bring that up?" That's like the Chico County Sheriff Department testified. I've been trying to get my preliminary hearing te- uh, transcript for 23 years. For 23 years, I've written the courts. My family has went down and tried to pay for them mm-hmm. and everything. They won't even transcribe them because in my sentence here, he said that the uh, confidential informant who was allegedly supposed to water wire on me in 1997, September 12, 1997, was uh, is the one that testified on the grand jury in November. Now, I found out that the guy who was supposed to have worn the wire ran off with that tape and ran out with the money that he was supposed to use. So there was never actually any. And the guy that I aided, in, the ex supposed to have aided and abetted, they charged him with 6.4 grams of selling uh, fake cocaine, candle wax and baking soda. Mm-hmm. But when he got to my trial, it's real. It's 6.4 grams of real cocaine. So I was wondering, I always wonder how he got 31 months. Man, I know it sounds like a, a, horror, a horror movie, but I got the paperwork and everything. Well, that I, you I, I mean, and the thing is, I've heard so much, so many st- stories like this that are similar that to me, it, it doesn't sound unbelievable. I mean, it sounds unbelievable, but but I believe it if, if that makes sense because yeah. the system is so screwed up. So you did take it to trial then, yes. for the six for the six point six point four six point four six point five whatever six point four um, six point four, and then it was during the sentencing when they throw in the ghost dope. Right. The ghost note. Yeah, the IRS agent testified in my sentencing. So when I get there, the same judge, you know, I, I mean, I thank the judge for releasing me because the same judge actually released me uh, and signed the order to release me. But at that time, we have our objections in, to the PSR report. 
Now, they have taken two charges that I objected to that I've never been to trial for and I don't know anything about and had them in my PSI to put me in a category two. They did this to deny me the safety valve because I'm, as a first-time offender, I should have got the two-point reduction on the safety valve. And they gave me the leadership role because the IRS agent said that he had uh, guys that he had interviewed that said they worked for me. So I had my lawyer ask him, what's the name? He said, well, I don't have my folder. I don't know the names today. Then you shouldn't give me the leadership role today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You gave me the four-point hand. So it took me from a what it was. They found me guilty. They found me guilty of 1.5 kilograms of relevant conduct. In 1997, that moves you from a level. I was at a level 24. That jumps you from a level 24 to a level 38. That's a 14-point enhancement. It's, a, it's like a 14-point enhancement. All right, then they give me the leadership role. That's like an 18-point hand because it's four points for the leadership role. So it takes me from a 38 to a 42. And even in my transcript, and I, I want to send you a copy of my transcript if I can mail it to you or scan it to you. Yeah, for sure. Or if you have a pacer that the uh, the judge said, if y'all had to charge him with another crime, I could have gave him a life sentence. He said, but I'm bound by the statute to stay within the guideline. You see what I'm saying? I should have got my 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 sentence was calling for mm-hmm. sixty or sixty to seventy one months, but my enhancement took me from sixty to seventy one months to uh, thirty three years. You know? Did you ever have? Did you have a chance to appeal it? To appeal uh, the enhancement? Appeal it and lost. Man, I had so much bad luck in prison, so I couldn't afford to. An attorney, so you have to try to get these jailhouse lawyers, you know, to help you and stuff. There are some who are good, but there are some who are good and, you know, stay in trouble. So I end up going to, I end up going to Beaumont Penitentiary. You know, and I know, I don't know if you ever heard the story, but they call it Bloody Beaumont. You know, if you can mm-hmm. look at it. So I, I was there when there was a, a lot of killing, you know, a lot of stabs and a lot of killing. So is that in California? On? No, that's in Texas. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just look it up. Beaumont, Texas. Got a lot of video on it, and uh, anyway, I had a guy helping me, and he ends up getting stabbed and getting into like a ride, and he transferred with all my paperwork. So <laughs> after me, I kind of like, he was helping me with my twenty two fifty five, and I ended up missing my deadline, so I didn't get the chance to file a, a search warrant. Apprendi come out, and uh, four days later, after my four days after my my file conviction ends, so the apprentice is anything that doesn't go before a jury, they can't use to enhance you. So I missed that by four days, and so they tell me they would never answer my motion. Even when the police got, got then I had the head of the task force, and I had the IRS for the silver, the money, the monetary uh, crime, which was money laundering, and I had the Central Delta Task Force, was the agent named Ronnie Jones, in 2004, he went. He got locked up for extortion and bribery. He pled guilty for framing cases and extorting people from nineteen ninety from nineteen ninety four to two thousand and four. My case happened ninety six. They never come back and said anything. He went to Texas County and did like six years, six or seven years. Now they had all his paperwork sealed because I've been trying to get his paperwork because he testified at my trial and he was the lead agent on my case and admitted to framing cases. My defense was the alibi. That's the reason I went to trial. So was yeah. was was he a part of the? Uh, he testified against you in the yeah. the ghost the ghost drugs the, yeah. portion of it. Yes, sir. What what what, what did he testify? What, what did these IRS agents say? <clears throat> he said that he had guys. First, he said he was led on by the prosecutor uh, Chad Lamar at the time at sentencing. When he got up, he said, "Yeah, there are guys that work for him. I do a couple of them." Chad Lamar said, don't you mean that there were at least five people working for him? You t- it takes five people to get the enhancement. So, so just le- like, leading them along. Yeah. You're leading them along. And so, yeah, we had numerous individuals say, and I mind you, I've never got this radar material, any of it. have never had access to his report, the IRS agent report, mm-hmm. or anything to see if this was ever, ever true. I know it wasn't true because I got an affidavit from the guy that they said wore the wire. He was on the run. They arrested him. Like two weeks after I got arrested and for running away. And he gave us, he took us to the courthouse and showed where they charged him with the uh, 
the equipment and the money that was supposed to be used in my case. So actually, there was never any real drugs, you know, at my trial, at my trial, mm-hmm. because he ran off with everything. Hey guys, just want to take a quick minute out of today's show to tell you about something that we're very excited about here at Lions of Liberty. Myself, Mark, and Brian, we are available to be speakers at your public or private events. We can, you know, come on board and uh, analyze current events. We can MC events. We can uh, discuss and give speeches on specific topics, of which we, of course, all three of us are well versed in different specific areas. You can check out our page on our website. We have a page, lionsofliberty.com slash speakers, where we detail out all of our offerings. I know this is the very exciting convention season in the Libertarian Party. So if you're looking for a very attractive and handsome and funny person to uh, headline or to give a uh, give a speech at your Libertarian Party convention, you can reach out to me If you're looking for somebody who's funny and goofy looking, maybe reach out to Mark or Brian. I I kid, I kid. But check it out, lionsofliberty.com slash speakers. We, we want to be a part of your next event. So what were they trying to set up? They were trying to set up, what, you buying drugs from him? or Yeah, they were trying to set up, no, him buying drugs from me. But the whole thing was... So what, what did he run off with then? The 6.4 grams. Or the money. I don't know if he ran off with the money. The two cent, They had gave him $275 to make a buy for 6 grams. Okay. And uh, But he ran off with the equipment, the radio transmitter and everything, and the, and the drugs. His name is Earl Nelson. I'll send it to you. If you look at Pacer, mm-hmm. okay. you'll see it. And I'll send you a copy of the affidavit and everything. And then what they charged him with at the court, in the state court. So when he get arrested, while I was, after my pretrial, he got arrested two weeks later. His name came across the news. I was in the Greenville City Jail right before Valentine's Day. His name came across. He said, confidential informant arrested for running off from a September drug buy. That was the news uh, highlight on WABG in Greenville, Mississippi. So I called my lawyer and tell him, I said, hey, man, they just arrested the guy who they said was a confidential informant. He'd been on the run since September. Since September. So how could he have testified in my grand jury hearing in november you see what i mean so so who testified then nobody i don't think they ever had one they said that he testified wow they said that he testified and you can't get you can't get those grand jury documents i can't (laughs) a a reporter or investigator could but i could i've been trying to get them i've written them several times Hmm. asking for them just his testimony so I actually, basically, I spent 23 years, and, you know, for a crime, for a crime I didn't commit. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, when I went to trial, they give you, you know, you, in the feds, you have a U.S. Marshal number. When I went to trial, my number was 105-90042. I know it because that's what I went to trial in. That's what I had to use to get on the airplane. That's mm-hmm. what I had to use to get off, <coughs> to be transported. If you don't know your number, they won't transport you. So <clears throat> they give me this number, and I had it on my armband for probably a year and a half. And during that time, I got it memorized. All right. When I leave Oxford, after I get sentenced, May 20, I leave in July going to uh, the penitentiary. When they take me, I'm the last one to get on the plane. The marshal wouldn't take me on the plane. They said, no, we're not going to. So they put, they took me on the back of the plane in 1997, July 19, July 97. I'm the only one that left Oxford in my street clothes. I didn't leave in a uniform. Why is that? It was either because they didn't have, I wasn't on the manifest or they was using somebody else's number. I want you to write that number down too. 105-90-042. Do you have a pacer? Um, I do not. Yeah. What, you got to get that, patient. What was that number again? 105-90-042. All right. Let me get okay. it here. Like, <clears throat> when you get transport from institution to institution in the feds, before you get on the plane, you have to say your number. Mm-hmm. You know, you come up, they have a picture of you. 
They got to manifest. Right, right. All right. And so your judgment and commitment is your receipt for prison. It's like a it's like a voucher for the prisoners to transfer him to the penitentiary. So when I went to get off the plane and said my number, they wouldn't take me. The marshal wouldn't take me. The, the guards from Oxford, Mississippi, pulled them to the side and they talked. I had the plane held up like an hour. I never forget it. It's like yesterday. Hmm. And so I'm wondering. I don't know because I've never been to penitentiary. I'm just thinking that it's procedure and protocol. All the other people that left with me, they're already on the plane. Right, right. And I'm the only one that's in street clothes. So they take me and put me on the back of the plane and I ride to Oklahoma. When I get off to give them my number, they set me to the side and I was the last one processed. They took me into an office and asked me, you know, what's your name? What's your social security number? And so I don't know if it wasn't matching the paperwork that they had, but let me give you a history on that number. That number belongs to uh, another guy by the name of Melvin Mathis. And how, you know, how I found this out was when I first got to the penitentiary, I had that number, 10590. My family was writing me. They said, hey, we're writing you, and uh, all your mail is coming back and said the inmate is not there at this institution. I said, well, this is the address. Everybody, you know. And so they send you money. You get a voucher in your letter. So I wasn't getting any mail or anything. So I went to probably my went to talk to my case manager, and he said, well, What's the problem? I said, I don't know, man. My family said they're writing me all my my mail is coming back and said they sent me money. I haven't got my money. You know, so would would, would that be common for them to reuse a number? No, I wouldn't think so. Even if you go home and come back to prison, you get the same number. You see what I'm saying? The number yeah, that so I you, have, yeah, they, they never give or they shouldn't be given one number to no another prisoner, no. right? No, if you go to if you go to jail. 20 times, you're going to have that same number. If you get out and go back 20 times in the federal system, you're going to have that same number. Same thing in the state, all states. It's, it's, yeah, it's, how, it's how, they're, how they're keeping track, how they're tracking right. you. Right. So anyway. So what, what, do you think, what do you think happened there? That they use, if you look at his case, we have the exact same charge, exact same date of arrest. His charge happened on September 12th. We have the exact same date of arrest, but his arrest was supposed to, it was September 12th. Mine wasn't, I didn't get arrested until January 15th, 1997. But they used his paperwork. Our case numbers are identical. Hmm. You don't even, you know, you've never heard of anybody with the same case number in the federal system. Our case numbers are identical except the last two letters. Mine is BB, NB, and his is uh, uh, LT, LTS. So his judge was uh, LT Center. Mine was Judge Neil Biggers. That's the only thing different. But we got the exact same case number, exact same date of arrest, mm-hmm. exact same indictment form. So, but I've never to this day I haven't received a signed copy that was where one was issued for me by a judge. I've never seen. I've, I've written for a certified copy every time they send it. There's no judge's signature on the warrant. But I wonder how did they arrest me in Arkansas on a Mississippi warrant anyway. That's been my thing. I've been wondering that for 20-something years. So so how much time did this uh, Melvin Mathis serve? Ten years. You, you, and you never, never ran, in, ran into him or anything? No. Yeah. no. I ended up getting this. I ended up... Uh, so did did they change did they change your number then after that? I assume they ended up changing when I was at Beaumont Penitentiary, they gave me the number two eight three three two zero seven seven. That's a nineteen ninety five Northern District of Texas number. You get your number out of whatever district your case happened. So I got an 077 number, which is the Northern District of Texas, and my case happened in Mississippi. If you want to get technical, I got arrested in Arkansas. I should have had an Arkansas number. You see what I'm saying? It's actually wherever the marshals handling right, your case, yeah. wherever, the, yeah. But but, they, but but it wasn't a marshal that brought you back; it was an IRS agent. IRS agent, Harry Boston. You'll see when you when you Google this story, you'll see. Man, this case is crazy. Oh, yeah, real crazy. Oh. And I got like two boxes of paperwork that where you can see and read it whenever you want to read it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to look into this more for sure. So just just to get to like. You know, personally, you dealing with this sentence, 
all this stuff happens. You end up in prison. You're facing your sentence was what? 33 years, 33 years, four months. What was your mindset? What did you lean on to, to get through that? Well, the one, the one thing I had to learn going into prison, <clears throat> and I've been blessed, man. I've been blessed because it's like I was covered and protected. Because so many, I've seen so many guys die in prison, either by suicide, either by violence. You know. So one of the things I never, I never drank to smoke on the street. You know, growing up, and so I think I was fortunate enough. I just never wanted to, so I never succumbed to that. So I've always been a leader. You know, and never a follower, but coming into what they call the concrete jungle, you know, they have what they call clicks and cars and everybody's, uh, uh, you know, ganged up together. So I've been a man that always stood on, on my own. So I got, I got blessed to like get sent to a unit to where we had a lot of guys who were Christian. And so I ended up, you know, I stayed out of my way. I was pretty good in sports. So once you're good in sports, you know, people, they have a, a certain amount of respect for you. And I was pretty good in basketball. So I kind of like earned my right for guys to, you know, they didn't really bother me because they used to like to see me play basketball. And I always carried myself in a, you know, respectful way. Mm-hmm. But the, the thing that I had to do was I had to sever that tie with the outside world. A lot of guys, when they become incarcerated for long periods of time, they're still trying to live with one foot in the street and one foot in the penitentiary. There's so much tension with gangs and racial tension inside the inside the penitentiary that one wrong move could cost you your life. One of your homeboys could get in trouble and you could be in an all-out gang war. I've been in four rides. You know, I've been blessed to have survived all of them, you know, without injury or anything. And, uh, you know, just from the, it's like a ticking time bomb. And when you're in a penitentiary, the, ass, the, the tension is so thick, you can cut it with a knife. You get up in the morning at five in the morning, and you end up, you know, you, as soon as the door opens, it's just like routine. As soon as the key hit the door, you're already up with your boots on and everything. You're fully dressed because you don't know. You got to get up and see what's going on. You know, so it's just like a tick. It's like a, a powder keg just waiting on the right spark to ignite it. And so, uh, you know, I've witnessed my first murder probably. I've seen a couple of suicides before. Uh a guy I used to work with, he used to call him Ghost. I don't even know his real name, but we used to work every day and he was going through some problems with his, with his family. And uh, i never forget, he was like, I said, man, you okay? We used to walk and talk. This is before I went to Unicorn that summer. And he said, man, I'm just I'm just tired. Yeah, probably had been down by 10 years in the penitentiary. And they said his wife had left him and uh, he ended up hanging himself, you know, one night. And that was kind of hard on me. You know, so I've seen guys, man, I've seen a lot of violence, a lot of suicide and like I said, a lot of murders and you know, in prison. You know, but thank God I made them through all. But the way I survived was I had to cut my ties to the, the streets. I wrote my kids and I've always tried to be a great father and I always wanted to tell them, to teach them and tell them how not to make the mistake that I made and to stay off that path. Because it only takes one mistake to where it sends you to, you know, you can get sent to a penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, it it was rough, but you know, I uh, man, I started teaching, and I stayed. Everything that they offered, you know, I would take computer classes, typing. I didn't know how to type when yeah, I went I to saw pay. I saw your uh, the list of like you all the courses and stuff you've taken on the the change right. change Yeah, it is. It's it's long. It's long, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And that's not even counting the classes that I've I've taught. You know, I've taught a lot of classes. And, you know, Toastmasters don't show up there because it's an outside. My auditor, my auditor from the street d- doesn't show up on there because it was from the outside. These are outside courses that I take. I became a certified auditor. You know, so, uh, you know, yeah, I stayed busy taking classes and trying to rehabilitate myself. So in mm-hmm. case the opportunity came to me, I would be able to be gainfully employed. You know, so that's the thing, man. Education was the key for me. You know, a lot of guys, they don't. I know some guys that's been down 15, 16 years that have never taken a class because they're caught up in the, the same thing you have on the street. They have in the penitentiary. Mm-hmm. The exact same thing. That's everything. The only thing that they don't. When I say everything that they have on the street, they have inside the penitentiary. 
you know, so it's still the same thing on the street. It's just a choice that you make, you know. You know, you either, you want to succumb to it or you want to walk by it, mm-hmm. you know. So I wanted to ask you, you also, it, it was the first step back that got you out. Were you, uh, did you apply for clemency when the Obama administration was doing their round back then? Yes, what was that? 2015, 2016? 2014. 2014. Yeah, the clemency initiative started in 2014. My clemency initiative is still pending. I'm going to send you the copy of uh, my case number. And uh, I was actually in Bennettsville, South Carolina. And I applied. I just knew I was going to get clemency because I was a first-time offender. And I find out now that the prosecutor, every time I file a motion, the prosecutor, who was a good friend with this IRS agent, was writing a 10-page memorandum like against me. What? A temp named Chad, Chad Lamar, appointed by President Trump to be the U.S. attorney uh, in Northern District. Jeez. He was writing a 10-page memorandum every time. You got to get Pacer, man, so you can see. You know, if you're going to do it. So you so every, you can see all that stuff on Pacer? You can you see, see the 10-page? On, on Pacer. My son just told me last year. Wow. You know, every time he was writing a 10-page, and he fought tooth and nail for me not to get this. Tooth and nail. I had, I had a sentence here in December 16th. He didn't come. He sent another guy. He sent another prosecutor by the name of Paul Howell. And Paul Howell basically told my lawyer, my family went there. Paul Howell basically told my family, he said, hey, he said, man, he said, I think Maurice deserves his freedom, but they sent me here to do a job. If I don't do my job, then I lose my job. You know, to me, that basically meant that he had to do what Chad Lamar told him to do or he was going to be fired. And so because in all other districts, the prosecutors, you know, would have got with my with a record like mine, it's educational transcript, and with me having no, you know, no no issues with disciplinary since I've been incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And I had staff letters and everything, and tons and tons of letters from family and people in the community that would say they would help me, you know, reintegrate back into society. The prosecutors are basically, you know, giving way, saying, okay, this guy deserves his freedom. You know, and just think now, what the first step, what it did was change my statutory maximum from uh, 40 years to 20 years, from zero to 20. So the statutory maximum, even if the judge throw, threw the book at me, he could only give me 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I did 23, right? I did three years over, actually five and a half, because you only do 17 years, six months on 20 years. So... When mm-hmm. I got out, they didn't give me any paper. My case manager told me that I didn't have zero, that I had zero years, that I didn't have any supervised release. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to take the chance. So when I got out that Friday, Monday morning, I went over to see uh, my attorney. And my attorney said, uh, I think you got three years supervised release. That's one on Monday. So I said, okay. I said, why would I have three years supervised release when I did three years over the maximum amount of time that he could have mm-hmm. gave me? They should have applied that three years towards my supervised release. Right? I think You would think so, yeah. So listen, Wednesday morning, it was Wednesday I got arrested too in 1997, January 15, 1997. Wednesday morning, if you look at uh, Facebook, I did a live video of me going back. I want you to go back and look at that. Okay. Uh, I'll link to it on the uh, on the show notes page. Okay. Uh, I went back to go see the probation officer. All right, I went upstairs. They tell me, first thing they tell me, I have five years. They said, you got five years supervised relief. I said, no. I said, my attorney said I have three years. But actually, the paperwork, my I said, my case manager when I left prison didn't give me any paper, told me that I don't have any supervised release. Mm-hmm. That's my case manager when I got released. They didn't give me one piece of paper when I left. They said, you're a free man. You don't have any halfway house. You don't have any supervisor relief. But me knowing how the Northern District played, I didn't want to take the chance. Right, right. Because I could have been violated and sentenced to those three years back in prison. Mm-hmm. So I had my brother Antonio. My brother Antonio took off work and he drove me over that Monday morning. 
And I met with, I'm going to send you some pictures too. I met with the, my lawyers. I promised my lawyer that fought for me, Kai Kasai, that I would come and shake his hand because he did an excellent job, you know, fighting and presenting case law, you know, on my behalf. Gregory Parks and Kai Kasai. So yeah, I, I, think, I, saw, I think I saw a picture. You put a yeah. picture on Facebook with him? Yeah. Right, right. And he's a public. Be, de- he's a public defender. Yeah, those two guys are mm-hmm. public defender. The uh, the Asian guy is the guy who actually prepared all my motions and everything. Did all okay. the research. And uh, but anyway, that went back. Went to the. I'm in the probation office. They said, "No, you got five years." I said, "Sir, I'm not trying to argue with you. I, I understand." I said, "But when I left the prison, they told me I didn't have any supervised release, according to the order that the judge issued." I have three years supervised release. Now you're telling me that I have five. Yeah, we're looking at we're looking here. I said, no, you're looking at. I said, did the did the probation officer supposed to do a new PSR? Anytime the law changed, they're supposed to do a new PSR. They didn't do that, so they still had me under the old statute. Mm-hmm. They still had the old JNC and the old statute. Reason being, on my old statute, you got that one hundred five nine zero zero four two number on there. Ah. So they can't do they can't do a new JNC because I don't have a I don't have a judgment and commitment for two eight three three two zero seven seven. You see what I'm saying? So they can't do it. They can't do a new a new PSI because on my PSI and I send you a copy of that on my PSI my JNC I got one zero five nine zero zero four two on there. They can't do it. They can't do a new one. So what happens? So he tells me uh, finally. He calls Oxford, I guess, to the judge's office and everything. They stay back there about 25 or 30 minutes. He comes out and says, uh, oh, yeah, you do have three years. I said, okay, now my question is this. If I have three years supervised release and it shows that the statute go, went back to from zero to 20, with 20 being the statutory maximum, I did three years over, even if I had a flat time. I, I said, that's what a good time is for. Your supervised release is like a 15% prorate of your actual sentence. I said, I did three years over. I said, can I take the three years I did over and apply it to my supervised release and, you know, be through with supervised release? Oh, no, no, that's, that's two distinct sentences. It's not two distinct two distinct sentences. Yeah. That's what he's telling me. I said, man, I said, listen, that's all I did. Stay, that's all I did while I was incarcerated was stay in the library researching. Mm-hmm. It's one sentence. If if the judge had gave me one month over on supervised release, the appeals court would overturn it because he gave me one month too much of supervised release. Mm-hmm. I said, so it's the same sentence. I did three full years over my statutory maximum. Why can't I get uh, those three years applied to, you know what I mean? My yeah, it seems, it seems clean cut to me. I mean, I'm not a, uh, not a lawyer, but. Well, pay me for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, what one of the two? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. So that so, so that's that's know. still that's still kind of up in the air right now. Then I guess. Right. So I, I emailed my lawyer, asked him to uh, prepare a motion for me, showing that uh, that that's the statutory maximum, and could I apply those three years towards my supervised release? So mm-hmm. I'm waiting to hear something. You know. So we'll uh, hope and pray that, that that comes through and that gets wiped out. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, they're pretty strict. You can't leave. You can't leave the state without a ten day notice. You can't even leave the district if you look at the district. It's just the Northern District of Mississippi. So, I can't even really go to Jackson or about a hundred miles away. I can't even go to that district without permission, even yeah. though it's in the state of Mississippi. Yeah, and it's they're real, real, real restrictive. Yeah. So, so we've been talking for about an hour. Um, that's a good thing. That's that's a good thing. The time has flown by, and your your cases. I mean, it's crazy what, what what happened. So I definitely do want to have you back on in a little bit. I want to do some more, you know, learn more about it, so I can ask some more questions. And okay. I'm sure some of them, you know, a lot of times when uh, for a show like this, I have listeners that'll uh, that'll send me questions too and ask okay. you know ask different things about the case. So please do. We'll, we'll let some time pass, but I definitely want to have you back on to uh, to go into more detail. Um, Really, just uh, just one more question for you before I let you go. You know, now that you that you are out, you have your freedom, and I guess it's kind of up in the air with the three years release. But just uh, looking ahead, the next five, ten years, where, where do you see yourself? What, what do you see yourself doing? 
Well, I want to, my biggest thing is the town I'm from is like a, it's in the Mississippi Delta. It's a small town. It's like, it's real impoverished. So I want to try to maybe build a black history park. That's been my dream anyway for the last 18 to 20 years. I want to build a black, a walkthrough black history park with statues and monuments. So, you know, it's, it's a historical town. It's called Mile Bayou. If you Google it and look at mm-hmm. it, it's a, it's a town founded by, you know, like former former slaves. And it was real big. It was real prominent back in the early 1800s, sort of like Black Wall Street. And I want to go around and speak to kids. That's been my mission. So I'm trying to work mm-hmm. and see if I can get the opportunity to speak with a DARE program. And I want to also help fight mass incarceration. You know, any way that I can, you know, maybe if you know somebody that's, that's looking for somebody to come and speak or sit on a panel about mass incarceration, you know, give me a holler, man. We'll try to work it out so I can get there. Yeah, I actually sure. got invited to one in Little Rock on March 25th, so I'm going to shoot there by my probation officer. So they want to pay my trip there. So, fa- you know, like FAM is going to be there, Cut 50 is going to be there, and the Can Do Foundation. So I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to being there for that one. And so I'm hoping to get to Washington, D.C. and sit on a couple of panels to talk about mass incarceration because they don't prepare. There's no help. I haven't had one. I've reached out to a lot of organizations. I haven't had one to help me. I've been going 23 years. If I hadn't educated myself or sort of prepared myself to be mentally strong to fight through this drought, then you almost force a man to go back to committing crimes and doing what he wants to, mm-hmm. you know. You know what I mean? So if you're yeah. not strong enough to resist that, then you're going to be in trouble. So that's not an option for me, man, because I have uh, I got 14 grandkids now. You know, my sons came to see me this weekend, and I'll send you some pictures of that. I really hadn't had a chance to post them. They, they made it back home. They wish all my grandkids, none of them were born when I left the street. And so, wow. but they, you know, my sons, my sons have been bringing them to see me. One of my other sons, he's coming down. He's bringing my other grandkids down to see me. And so those, those grandkids will keep you busy. Oh man, man. I had a rough weekend, a good weekend, yeah. but rough cause they're real busy. So it was their birthday. It's some twin Julius Jordan. It was their birthday. It's Sunday. So their birthday wish was to come see grandpa. That's and awesome. so my son picked them up and brought them. So they had Cam and Ava and I had all of them and I seen some pictures from them. Cool. And the, the little live video that we did. So I spent some time with them this weekend. And so it's been a blessing, man. It's been a blessing. I had a lot of, uh, uh, people to come by and you know help me and offer offer me things and stuff like that you know a couple pair of pants and stuff but they don't have anything they don't have I haven't received like any vouchers or anything they were supposed to refer, refer me to somebody in Mississippi and in this area I don't see them doing that because it's so secluded and it's so rural you know mm-hmm. like where could I like I'm 10 miles from the closest Walmart you know I'm like and it even closes uh, early, it doesn't stay over twenty. I, it's, I don't think it's a twenty-four hour Walmart. I'm not okay. even sure, and I'm having problems getting my license because they said that I've never been in the system for a driver's license. So I got to study for the test all over, and somebody used my ID while I was incarcerated, and got got us uh, a suspension pending in Illinois. So I got a certificate of incarceration. They said, "Well, it's up to me to take care of it." So now I can't. I don't have a driver's license. <laughs> Somebody stole your identity when you were yeah. when you were locked up. Wow. So I don't know, man. It's, but one thing about it, I'm not going to give up, and I can't yeah. go back. You well, know, so. yeah. You, I mean, you have the right attitude. I got to commend you for that. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, it's been what ten days, eleven days, right, since you've been out. And, eleven uh, days. Man, your, your attitude is incredible. I think people who have uh, never done time in prison can learn a lot from you. I mean, yeah. you know, people, a lot of times people put themselves in their own prison, you know, and they get, they get down and distraught and they're going through life. And to see someone like yourself that went through what you went through and to come out and be optimistic and have a positive attitude, um, but learn a th- lot. Th- think about this though. You know what I realized since I've been out that, uh, a lot of people out here, I'm still incarcerated, John. Mm-hmm. They're incarcerated to their jobs. They're incarcerated to bills. The only yeah. thing they don't have, they, the only thing they don't have, is the bars. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So <laughs> I look at it to say I'm I'm sitting back and I'm watching them going, and it's like everybody has lost the uh, 
the social aspect of life. Mm-hmm. Man, I walk by people, they don't even, when I left, when I left Mississippi before in 1997, everybody used to speak to each other. Now nobody speaks to each other. Everybody's angry. And you're seeing the the difference of people on cell phones too. I mean, before before you were locked up, I mean, maybe there were some cell phones, but now it's like people you're carrying around a little computer with you everywhere you go. Yeah. People are just have their face buried in them. But it's crazy, man. I I don't know if you want to give out uh like your Facebook or anything if people want to reach out and contact you. You don't have to. I mean, yeah, I can. I don't have any problem with that, John. Uh, my uh, my Facebook is Maurice Clifton. That's all. That one in my uh, Instagram is uh, T-O-O underscore two black, two B-L-A-C-K. Okay. Yeah, that's my Instagram, and you can give them that. And I, I welcome all, man. I, I write poetry. I got my first book. I published my first book. I should have brought it, but it's on uh, Amazon. It's called Two Black, Pride for My Race. It's on Amazon. I have another book coming out next month. I have another book coming out next month, and then it's wow. going to be... Uh, it's called Poetry in Motion, From Love of Woman to Love of Self to Love of God. I actually have four written already. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just got to go through the steps of getting them published. You know, so. Well, yeah, that's awesome. I uh, I just remembered, I actually just Googled that to find your book because I had it in my notes and we didn't even talk about it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I definitely got to have you back on. I and mean, we'll, uh, we'll talk about your books as well. We'll get an update on the case. But uh, it's been great to get to talk with you and to hear about your case and um yeah we'll definitely be in touch okay john make sure you send me the link so i can send it to my family and a couple other organizations and get it out man whenever you need me to talk just call me you got my number you can call me personally anytime or whatever even if you have to read to uh, ask some questions to get some clarification about everything that you asked me or something that i said mm-hmm. you know you can call me i'm at your fingertips yeah you know? we'll do and i'll uh i'll get on pacer too and uh yeah, please is, do. is it free to get on pacer is there a uh, bill or not that it matters really, but I, I don't know. It's it's not much. Mm-hmm. I think it's like $9.99 a quarter. I have to ask okay. my son to see. But I tell you what, it's gonna blow your mind. I yeah. I can imagine. Um yeah, it's yeah. gonna blow your mind. And you know <laughs> it's gonna I'm telling you, man, it's just a, the level of corruption that's has been at the behest of the northern district, man, is unbelievable, man. You got guys like uh Durham McGuinn or Terry Glasser, who is still in prison because of the, you know these people, but then all over, man, I met guys all over with similar stories from New Jersey. You got Eric Gasser from New Jersey; he's one of the guys. He got a story similar. You got a guy named Marcus Boyd from uh, Tennessee. These are just some of the guys that I met in prison who are still serving time. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Hicks from North Carolina; they're still serving time because of prosecutorial misconduct or a corrupt system. They should have been home. They should have been home, man, but you know, mm-hmm. they got to, you pass the first step, you go through all this legislation and they're not doing any follow-up on it, man. Like Cory Booker and, and, the, and the congressman, they're not doing follow-up on these people. It should have been an oversight committee to, to, because, to look out, to look over these prosecutors to make sure that they're doing the right thing. Because they got mm-hmm. a list of people that they're trying to put back in prison, they got relief under the first first step, even after the judge has granted them relief. You know that, right? It doesn't surprise me. I, I didn't, yeah. I hadn't heard that, but that that's, that's sick. It doesn't when surprise me. When I get the me. article, I'll show you. When I get the article, I'll make sure yeah. I send it to you. The For link sure. to the article. But they got a list of guys that they're trying to reincarcerate because they felt like they shouldn't have got any action under the first step act. When the law is clear, you know, clear mm-hmm. cut what it says. Yeah, I was still is. under hundred to one. That's the only thing that probably really saved me. I was still under hundred to one, and okay. even then, even then, when it first passed in in December, I'm grateful to be free now. But even then, when it first passed in December, as long as I had been incarcerated, I was already over my statutory maximum. Then I should have been one of the first one. They should have did it in reverse order, but from the guys who had been in longer. Yeah, I mean, well, it's 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 the government doing it. I mean, they're <laughs> how efficient are they? You know. Yeah, but I don't know, man. And uh, if you got any of your listeners out there looking for a SAP operator, SAP operator, you know, a SAP is a warehouse production. You know, I'm very proficient in that, so I did okay. some staff training, and I'm a certified auditor. 
And I'm a Toastmaster, so I do public speaking. You know, I started a couple of Toastmasters, Toastmasters chapter, one in Yazoo and one in uh, Beaumont. You know, I served the vice president one in Beaumont and the president at the one in Yazoo. So, mm-hmm. you know, so I think I'm a decent public speaker. So, yeah, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm confident that you'll, you'll find something, man. All right. Yeah. Keep Take that care, positive man. attitude. Keep that positive attitude. I have to, John. Yeah. That's the only thing that's going to sustain me. And the great, you know, God, God's grace. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's the only thing. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. You have a good night, man. Talk All soon. Right, take care, man. All right. Thank you for listening to today's show. Another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Claire. It's our longest running program, our flagship program where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out, and uh, if you like it all, Please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Lions of Liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. Burning.